The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 152. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Discovery first season episode, Vaulting Ambition. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, remember to share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow our community and reach more listeners, more Star Trek fans who would be interested in hearing us talk about Star Trek. And we are talking Star Trek today. We're talking Star Trek Discovery. This is, uh, we're continuing on in the mirror universe part of the first season and uh, it's episode 12 so there's not a whole lot left of that first season to go through Uh, let me give you a quick recap of what happens in this episode so we're in the mirror universe right burnham is now pretending to be her mirror self captain of the shenzhou and she's been commanded to present herself uh, on the iss charon which is the emperor georgio's ship and we've just with the end of the last episode we've discovered we've been revealed who the emperor is it's it's georgio uh, meanwhile, Ash Tyler is aboard Discovery, where he got beamed into space and then rescued. And he's now, Volk is emerging, and he's in restraints in sick bay. Saru has found that much of the data that Burnham got on the USS Defiant crossing over uh, to this mirror universe has been redacted, so they need to get more information. And Burnham and Lorca are now traveling by shuttle to the Charon. Stamets, meanwhile, is mentally traveling through the mycelial network in spore space. Uh, and encounters his mirror version, and they have interactions, which leads uh, him to, A, being told that he has to help them escape from Spore Space because Spore Space is corrupt, and he sees Hugh Culber, who, remember, was killed by Valk in a previous episode, and uh, Hugh tells him, oh, no, I'm dead, I'm not really here, but that's not true, <laughs> as we'll find out, <laughs> and uh, somehow. So on the Charon, Burnham presents Lorca to Giorgio, who has him taken off to be tortured. Uh, and that this is where she reveals that Burnham is her daughter, her adopted daughter. So that's another big reveal that happens at this moment in the show. Burnham is uh, has this moment where she has to select a Kelpian, uh, not knowing why. We find out later because Kelpian is a delicacy. Uh, Giorgio then reveals to Mirror Burnham at dinner that she knows that, she or to who she thinks is Mirror Burnham, that she knows that she was working with Lorca to overthrow her, orders her execution, but Burnham has to then reveal what's really going on. I'm not the I'm not your daughter. I'm from another universe. And the Emperor says, Yeah, I know all about the other universe. Uh but and that's one of the most closely held secrets. Saru, meanwhile, turns to Laurel, who's in the brig on Discovery, and gets her to help uh Tyler, convinces her to uh, to do whatever it is that she does to operate in his head to suppress the Vok personality and let the Tyler personality come back. Meanwhile, on the 
Charon, the the captain of that ship, approaches Lorca in the brig, and there's this interesting tense moment where Lorca has to is being told to admit this piece of data that the real Starfleet Lorca wouldn't know under threat of you know killing this this other person, and he won't reveal it. And meanwhile, Giorgio says, "No, your Lorca that you brought here is the mirror Lorca," and we have this big reveal. It's that sixth sense moment where we suddenly understand who this Lorca is, and then he, in the brig, ends up turning the tables, kills the the guy who was torturing him, and reveals himself as the mirror Lorca, and uh, and that's that's pretty much the episode. So yep. they're they're basically the three plots: the Burnham and Lorca on the Charon, Stamets in the Mycelia Network, and Saru, Tyler, and Laurel. So uh, what do you think? What did uh, this this particular episode? There are two things that are amazing about this first season Discovery episode. One, a title that actually fits the episode. <laughs> right. And it's yep. short. And two, it's actually a halfway decent first season Discovery episode. Yeah. Well, I, I was saying when we first talked about this a few years ago, when it first aired, uh, this was, I felt like the second half of, Disco- of the Discovery first season was where it got good. You know, that mm-hmm. it, it sort of redeemed that first half. Uh, and yeah, I think this, this kind of shows it for me. What do you think, Jimmy? So the title is a Shakespearean illusion, mm-hmm. which is not at all uncommon. It's from Macbeth, where the character Macbeth, who is this, you know, king, is talking and he says, I have no spur to prick the sides of my intent, but only vaulting ambition, which o'erleaps itself and falls on t'other. And what he's saying there is he, he, the only thing he's really got is his intense ambition. And mm-hmm. he compare, he's comparing it to a horse because he's, he's got, you know, we have the references to spurs and pricking its sides and or leaping itself, leaping over itself. Like you'd have a horse vault or leap a fence, you know, like mm-hmm. in steeplechase. Right. right. And he's he's saying the only thing I've really got here is my vaulting ambition that is so intense it even leaps over itself. Hmm. And so that is uh, applied directly in this episode by Empress Giorgio to uh, Lorca. She refers to his vaulting ambition. And mm-hmm. so if you know how things end up for Macbeth... it's a sign of where things are going to go for Lorca. It's not going to be good. His ambition is going to be his undoing. Right. Yeah. But it's an interesting, it's a, it's a good episode as far as first season discoveries go. It's way more interesting than what they've been doing. It's also surprisingly short. This Mm -hmm. episode is not a full hour long. It's like 37 minutes. Right. If I recall. And so it's, uh, they, they didn't pad this one out. It is interesting. There's a lot. There's a lot in there for 37 minutes too. I mean, they 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 have, like I said, they have three separate plot lines going in this. And I wonder, does that vaulting ambition apply to any of the others? I mean, does it does that really does it perhaps apply to Valk and, uh, and well, potentially and it's, it's it's only applied directly to Lorca, but you could argue yeah. that it also applies to other characters. Yeah, I, I find that interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly, you could apply it to Michael Burnham, except for they don't let it go to its logical conclusion. Well, that's true. Yeah. The uh, I, in this episode, I like the graphics for the mycelial network. 
They're mm-hmm. really bizarre looking. They're they're like dark, but also with multicolored organic looking stuff. Mm-hmm. That's in like electric pink and and blue and orange and yellow and it's it's very interesting to look at there's some nice interaction between the mirror stamets and the starfleet stamets the star our yeah. stamets where yeah. when he first shows up he's not sure where he is he's never been in the mycelial network before and he's got this copy of himself that's talking to him and he's like what are you some demented Virgil that's am I dead and you're some demented <laughs> Virgil who's here to take me on a tour of hell and and the mirror Paul has a really funny line the mirror Stamet says to him Paul you've been wrong about everything there is a god and she is really mad at you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and and then he's like, he, he cracks up and is like, "I totally had you, I totally had you, didn't I? Yeah. You should have seen our face." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that was a good one. Yeah, the the uh, I, I like the fact that he says a uh, narcissistic Virgil, which is kind of a, a very yeah. interesting self examination of uh, himself. Uh, you know, that that the Stamets goes, so he kind of knows a little bit about himself yeah. there. And, and this is a reference, by the way, to Dante's Inferno, mm-hmm. where the Roman poet Virgil gives. Dante, a tour of hell. Right, yep. right. So, a couple of interesting things. It was it's so interesting. I'm, I'm thinking back when I, we first saw Emperor Giorgio in the in person for the first time, because we'd only seen Giorgio as Captain Giorgio before this, and so this emperor is so very different from the Shenzhen's captain that we'd seen in Binary Battle of the Binary Stars, and and that. And I, I'm trying to remember, like, what it was like to see her. It was very, I was, I was quite taken with this character. I mean, I always loved mm-hmm. Giorgio since that point because it's just such an interesting scene chewing character. Sometimes, and uh, so, what did what did you guys think of seeing Giorgio the first time at this well, point? You know, and, and kind of, I was trying to do the same thing because you know, and they, they, you know, they've really developed that character over the next two seasons. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the Giorgio that left at the end of season three, so different in many ways but so similar too you know yeah but you see little sparks of it here you see kind of that she still wants to be she's the emperor of all things and the conqueror of vulcan and all those titles you know great roman style titles right but she still wants to be the mother she still wants to be mother to michael burnham and that was of course so much of the character going through season two and three where she is such a regular part of the show that she wants to be motherly to burnham even knowing yeah. that it's it's a different Burnham interacting with a different Giorgio from Burnham's side, right? Yeah, we even got to see some of that in the uh, when she went through the Guardian of Forever in in mm-hmm. season three. Uh, it was an interesting perspective that and how she's changed. It's it's interesting rewatching this uh, because now, if you've been following this show, Empress Giorgio is the definitive version of the character. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so that's who we think of when we think about Giorgio. But in this, the only frame of reference we had was the Prime Universe Giorgio that had been Saru's uh, that had been well Saru's and Michael's captain on the Shinzo, yeah. right. and so she was portrayed as a very virtuous character. And suddenly, here's this alternate take, and it's interesting trying to 
put yourself back in the mental position of having only known the virtuous version up to now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was an interesting uh exercise to try to re- remember that. And yeah, it was such a I mean, it's that's what makes the mirror universe so great from that very first original series episode was everyone is is a mirror copy of themselves. Everyone mm-hmm. is that other version of themselves and they really they played it up in this, which is good. Well, I remember uh, being uh, very surprised that scene where she takes basically the throwing star and kills all but one of her advisors <laughs> yep. just to keep the secret of the Federation of Planets top, top secret and yeah. just being stunned by that action. You know, that, that right. this was not a Giorgio action. You know, you, you, you see the, you know, the prime Giorgio was very diplomatic. She was, you know, the ideal captain, you know, yes. very, you know, no, not here. <laughs> yes. Brutal. And uh, yeah, just. Completely different. And that, that idea of, yes, oh, I know all about your Federation of Planets and your mirror universe. You don't have to explain it to me, uh, you know, but your the knowledge of the existence of that universe is so dangerous that we ha- I had to kill my entire inner circle except for one schlub who got to, got to clean up afterwards and was probably grateful for it. Uh, that, that she was... should have killed him too, and then brought in people who didn't know anything about why they died to clean up. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. He must have been really important to her to to keep around. The other thing that was interesting was this revelation again at this point, which was a revelation that Mira Burnham was Mira Giorgio's adopted daughter. Like we didn't, you know, uh, to this point, we'd only thought of her as oh, she must be just a trusted captain. No, no, she's the emperor's daughter, and that was an interesting revelation here and kind of mind-bending a bit when we saw that mm-hmm. so um what do you think of the kelpian scene that was kind of it was super horrific. disturbing yeah was, i mean so the setup is when michael is first brought into the throne room or what's the equivalent of the throne room and she's being welcomed by Mirror Giorgio. Mirror Giorgio gestures to three Kelpians and says, choose one. And Michael doesn't know what she's being asked, what the nature of the choice is. And she rolls with the situation and says, that one. And then later she discovers she was asked to choose which Kelpian would be killed and prepared for their dinner that night. Yep. And she discovers this over dinner after she's already been eating that Kelpian. Mm -hmm. And then after the reveal that, you know, that Giorgio makes, she's saying, like, I thought you deserved a treat. And and she she takes some chopsticks and says, here, have some of my ganglia. And, you know, the threat ganglia that Kelpians have to sense threats to themselves. It's considered a delicacy. And she holds it out for Michael to eat, and Michael does. And yeah. that's a horrendous, that's just a horrific moment. Um, I, knowing myself, I don't think I would have been able to keep it down. No. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's that's what makes that scene kind of brilliant, is that, that we're supposed to be horrified. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a horrific moment, and it shows how twisted this place is, and the way, like Burnham was talking about in the last episode, how the ways that you have to enter into the evil and kind of you almost embrace it in order to survive to accomplish your goal and this there's a sort of uh, ends justifying the the means uh aspect to that which is again disturbing 
this was played so well because, you know, Burnham looks like, you know, like you talk about not being able to keep it down. She looked like she was ready to spew <laughs> yes. it back out, like right away. I mean, that was, you know, so well done of just kind of like trying to play this. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. We're good. You know, well, I, I could eat it in the in, in back of her mind. She's going, this is disgusting. How can I do this? You know, I remember hearing an interview with the, the there's a person whose job it is to make on screen food for TV shows and movies. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's one mm-hmm. of the things. Things that could consumed of various kinds. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, and she she worked on Discovery and talked about having to develop the 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 foods that they are eating in this meal, including like the threat ganglia. Which at this point, the actress Sonequa Martin Green was vegetarian. I don't know if she still is or mm-hmm. whatever, but at the time she was vegetarian. And so having to make this thing for her to consume that she has to imagine is like can you imagine a like she's already vegetarian. <laughs> You might become a vegetarian after having to mag- pretend that you're eating, you know, a sentient being's body parts. Like, well, oh, gross. That, that would explain why the threat ganglia looked like bamboo shoots to me. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it was an interesting interview. I think it was uh, the Milk Street Kitchen podcast. I like to listen to that. and mm. They had her on. That was very interesting. So the, it was also a, an unexpected moment when Burnham, at the moment of about to be executed, when she has to... Reveal all. I thought it was very unexpected to me for her that she just sort of like, okay, I'm going to tell you what's going on yeah. <laughs> after I, having hidden was, everything. That was the yeah. best move, though, because yes. at this point, uh, Mira Giorgio has been convinced that she is her adopted daughter who was planning to overthrow her and take her throne. How are you going to talk that back? I mean, even mm-hmm. it, 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 even if she had all of the knowledge of Mira Burnham. It's going to be really hard to unconvince the Empress. Yeah. It, it's, it, it, and make up some lie about how, no, Mama, I really wasn't plotting against you. It was this other thing where I was secretly defending you. I mean, that would be really hard to pull off, especially since she doesn't even have all the knowledge of her mirror mm-hmm. self. So just coming clean and saying, here, test this piece of metal and you'll see it comes from a different universe, that, would, that was her best option. Yeah, right. that's true. Oh, by the way, a piece of metal yeah. that has her name on it because it was from <laughs> Captain Giorgio. Like, right. Huh. Right. <laughs> yes, it has a different quantum signature, which is, again, that's something that comes up uh, several times. and we'll cu- It came up in the third season of Discovery uh, with Giorgio. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the, also, the other thing which was interesting was the uh, Saru going to Laurel to save Tyler. It's, it's an interesting bit of plot development. Because they've got Tyler, he's a he's a murderer. He killed Culber. He is apparently insane, of or somehow he's violent. And uh, Saru, but Saru has this compassion. He wants to help him. He wants well, to. And in a moment of lucidity, Tyler asks to be helped. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. That's true. Uh, and goes to Laurel. And at first, she's she refuses, but then. Saru kind of lays the lays it down for her and says, "Look, I'm gonna just throw throw this, I'm, I'm gonna beam her into the cell, him into the cell with you, and you can now deal with him as he is now, and mm-hmm. and you continue to tell me that you won't help him, and that's what convinces her to to help." I thought that was fascinating. There's a moment early in this uh, subplot where they've got him, they've got Tyler in sick bay, and he's thrashing around. And the doctor tells Saru that is discussing 
the fact that you know his DNA that we have on file fits with the known Ash Tyler, and who's in Starfleet database and so forth. And and Saru is like, how did they manage to stick a Klingon into this guy? And that's actually very horrific. Yeah. If if you're thinking, okay, they like transplanted a brain and central nervous system into this guy, but but it's still Ash Tyler's real body there on the outside. Right. Now that's they walk that back because later when Lorel explains, she says we there was this real Ash Tyler. He died in the Battle of the Binary Stars, and we took his DNA and cloned his consciousness and grafted it onto Valk. Okay, so it's not like we have the real Ash Tyler's body here. They've just got cells with his DNA and his engrams in Vok's mind, but the body is still fundamentally Vok. It would have been super creepy for Ever After, though, if they had done it the other way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. I mean, that's the way that they eventually say they did it, it just seems like, wow, that would be a technology that's way advanced. Like, to, they had to change every D, every cell's DNA. To make it human, you know, human Ash Tyler's DNA. They had to implant implant a consciousness. I mean, the idea that 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 they can do that, the Klingons can do that. I don't know. Sometimes Star Trek, especially newer Star Trek, has these bits where they're like, if you could do that, that really breaks all of the other limitations that you've mm-hmm. self imposed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of those times. I would rather have them done something more like Manchurian Candidate, and you know, they've reprogrammed him and. He's still Ash Tyler, but he's had a you know a, a consciousness imposed on him from outside. We've seen that before. Yeah, or it could be even just like what they had with um, when in the Trouble with Tribbles, where Arn Darvin is revealed to be a Klingon who's been made to look human, but right. as soon as you run a medical scan on him, it's like yeah. Jim, this man is a Klingon. Yeah. And although if that had been the case, they never could have had him implausibly become the security chief for the Discovery. Right, right. That's true. So, yeah, it's a tricky situation. Well, and it is a it is a problem that Discovery bumps into all the time because it's a prequel to TOS, and yet they've got technologies that go far beyond anything TOS ever imagined, far beyond even stuff that like next gen TNG and, yep. and Voyager yeah. ever had. You know, yeah. And then, of course, there's always the transporter. You know, the the murder device that can fix everything, but only <laughs> one time. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's that. That's the um, yeah. That was that. That's the limitation. You know, the the you have to suspend disbelief on. But uh, it was. I I I think the Valk Tyler character in arc. I think that's one of the most interesting aspects of the first season. Just this, mm-hmm. they've they had this character. They kept it hidden from the audience. They they had this With big partial surprise. success. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like there was. <laughs> There was there was suspicions and people were starting to figure it out, but yeah, they uh, they did things like had uh, the character have two different like like the actor had a fake name for, on the call sheet for when they were filming it, so that the it was always two different people and a in the fake scene. IMDb listing. But then yeah. fans very quickly spotted, hey, in Persian, this actor's name means live long and prosper. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So yeah, that you it's yeah. hard to slip things by fans these days, that's for sure. Uh but I still I still like the the Vok Tyler the aspect the the subplot of the season. That that was good. Uh so um the reveal of Lorica at the end, another kind of interesting uh m- twist. 
it's one of the, like I, I said in the recap, it's like a sixth sense moment where you sort of reevaluate everything that Lorca has done since you've first encountered him and go, oh, yeah. you know, that idea that, oh, now that I know who he really is, that changes how I saw, see all those other scenes. Uh, I, that was for me anyway. Yeah, and they did that actually having showing Burnham realizing this, the whole issue with his eyes, the issue of picking her, all these different things throughout where these hints were there, but she didn't have the context to get the fulfillment of it. Right. You know, oh, the, the eyes were just an accident, you know, from the accident that blew up his ship. And it turns out, of course, that's actually an issue for Terrans in the Prime Universe, which right. they really don't play with for Giorgio when she's in the Prime Universe. They just kind of mention once in a while. Presumably, yeah. she's got contact lenses that are like sunglasses, and they yeah. could have done exactly the same thing for Lorca, but then we wouldn't have the reveal. Right. Exactly. Right, right. So, uh, what I find interesting is in the sequence where he's being tortured by the guy who apparently Lorca took advantage of this guy's sister, and mm -hmm. then something bad happened to her, we're not sure what. And so he's really mad at Lorca. He wants him to say her name, and Lorca doesn't. And when, as we're first watching this pre-reveal, we're thinking he can't say her name because he doesn't know it. He's not from this universe. Yeah. But and and, and the guy even brings in one of Lorca's former allies and is like, "I'm going to kill him if you don't say my sister's name." And the the new prisoner who's been brought in is like, "Please just say it." And Lorca doesn't, and we think it's because he can't, and this guy dies. Mm -hmm. um, horribly. The, horribly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so this is Lorca letting this guy die when he doesn't have to. And it's, uh, it's unclear to me exactly why he lets this guy die. I suppose it's because he's provoking the um his his captor to let him out of the agonizer so he mm -hmm. can attack him and so he's withholding the name of the sister until that point that's my best guess it's not really made clear on the screen that, that's kind of what i figured too it was just he, he's just he's trying to get this this guy to get so mad that he's fine i'm gonna let you out i'm gonna you know i'm gonna beat you up myself and oops too late yeah well he thinks he makes him think he's killed him with the agonizer and when he takes him out to revive him, because the Emperor might be a little upset that he's killed her, him instead of letting her do it, that's when he takes advantage of the guy. Yeah. Another th interesting thing that happens in this is in the sequence that isn't explained, it, but will be recognizable to longtime fans, is in the sequence where Laurel is doing an operation on Ash Tyler's brain and mm -hmm. letting the Valk personality go. And there's a moment in in this where he's like ranting in Klingon, and mm -hmm. then as she's using these lasers to manipulate his brain uh, through his skull, the he switches to the same rant in English. It's like yes. a continuation of the same rant, but it's now in English, and that's the sign that the Valk personality has been definitively severed. And then Laurel does the Klingon death cry, um, yeah. and, which goes all the way back to Next Gen, where when a Klingon warrior dies, the other Klingons who are present will do this death cry howl thing to alert the people in the afterlife that a Klingon warrior is arriving. And so she does that for Voke, but they, 
now that his spirit is departing, but they don't explain that at all. And I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. I like that they didn't feel the need to over-explain everything in this episode. They kind of respected the audience a bit to pick things up. And I, I, I do, I like when they do that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really good. Another nice thing that they didn't over-explain is why the Defiant route back to the main universe is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Because the, uh, according to Emperor Giorgio, when the Defiant crew came over, they all went insane. And that actually fits with what was happening in the Tholian web, where we saw the Defiant ship phasing between the two universes. Mm. Uh, Their crew had gone crazy. And so it's like, if you try to go back that way, you're all going to go crazy, too, for all we know. Right, right, right. And that that may figure into uh, what was going on with Giorgio at the end of Season 3 a little bit as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember if that was entering in. Yeah. Because, it, well, she was going crazy and ultimately yeah. would have had even worse problems. Yep. Right, right. Yeah. By the way, uh, so we mentioned that Stamets sees Culber in mycelial space, mm-hmm. and he asks him, so are you just, like, trapped here like me? And he's like, no, I'm dead. And mm-hmm. that was, I, I'm not just caught in the network, I'm actually dead. And next season, they're going to completely reverse that. And it's like, what an idiot I was. I I wasn't dead. I was just caught in the network. I maybe could have come back a a year earlier without all that torture and isolation. Hmm. But it's far more interesting this way. Yeah. Yeah. it's, Yeah. It's far more interesting to have like, okay, we've got this network that is somehow running all life in all different universes and a dead person can manifest in that. And even though it's not a classical understanding uh, from any particular religion of how the afterlife works, there's something here. And that's far more interesting than than how they walk it back. And in hindsight, knowing what they're going to do, it's just, this is just stupid. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, yeah, the very first thing that Stamet said, you're caught, you're just caught in the network was right. Mm-hmm. Well, and it 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 still doesn't make sense to me, like the, because he got his neck snapped. <laughs> like, like how does yeah. that? How does he end up in the? I, I they must. I think they explain it at some point, but I I think at, at my memory is I didn't buy it. There was a lame explanation. There, there was some yeah. There was something that I can't remember the explanation either. But there there was something he said like the mycelial network recreated his body or something like that. You know, something kind of lame like yeah. that because it it really was kind of a kind of a cheap rebirth, if you will. Yeah. It's, it was so much more interesting this way. It yeah. was worthy of Stephen Moffat. Nobody ever dies. <laughs> well, and it, it, I mean, it, it, for for Stamets, it, it gave him that that interesting choice of to stay there with Culber, right, or wake up. Literally, I mean, literally, just open your eyes and wake up, which he did. You know, and then goes out, and you know, he's ready to ready to go. But it's a uh, it made that interesting choice. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So any other notes on this episode, Father Corey? Well, they did change time in the third season because uh, when Emperor goes back through the... The, the Guardian. The Guardian, thank you. Yeah. Um, she kills Stamets. His friends call him <laughs> Carl. Carl. <laughs> Carl, <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> she, uh, she kills Stamets before we see Stamets in this episode wake up from Mirror Universe Stamets, wake yeah. up on the med bed or wherever he was. 
That's true. That's true. Yeah, before he even ended up in the Mycelial Network. So, yeah, yep. there's a, we, we now have a paradox. Well, uh, it, also, Emperor Giorgio meets a completely different fate in, mm-hmm. that, in that timeline, yeah. which they, they hand wave over by saying, having the Guardians say, oh, there's, there's so many different versions of us. So that was just a mirror, mirror universe. Yeah. Yeah, another mirror universe, part of the multiverse. Uh, anything else, Father Corey? Nope. Okay, Jimmy, anything nope. else? All right, let's wrap things up there then. We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Jonathan S., Sam E., Eric E., Brian S., and Michael P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of this Discovery episode, Vaulting Ambition? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the original series episode, Court Martial. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, no one prepares Kelpian like the Imperial Chef. Blah.